You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you again this morning. Uh, If you'd get your Bibles open, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 41, and then after that we're going to turn over to 2 Timothy for a moment. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul is speaking to his young protege Timothy and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you have started thinking about your New Year's resolutions yet uh, for this coming year of 2024? What's your plan for the new year? You're going to lose some weight, maybe join a gym, get out of debt, finally pay off your college loans, learn a foreign language. I've seen a couple of you at the gym recently, so that's inspiring. Uh, maybe you're uh, interested in starting a running, walking program. I'd be glad to give you some advice and some help on that. Maybe we could start a running club here at Southside and sign up for a 5K this spring. What do you think? Uh, All of those are worthy goals, and I hope you're able to keep some of those resolutions, but what I would really like to inspire us as a congregation to do this morning is get inspired about studying God's Word. For the Apostle Paul tells us, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. That verse tells me it's not going to make much difference if you can run a marathon under four hours if you miss heaven. You may be an expert on nutritional supplements and bodybuilding and healthy eating, but if you don't know what this book says, then your knowledge is somewhat sadly lacking. How well do you know your Bible this morning? Uh, Any of you ever watched that show that used to be on the game network that Jeff Foxworthy host called the American Bible Challenge. You remember that one? Any of you ever see it? It's still on Netflix. I think you can see it on, on there. Uh, it's canceled. 
none, none of my family liked it. I, I was the only one that really enjoyed watching that. Well, if you like that sort of thing, I got a couple questions for you this morning. These are some real stumpers, uh, like this one. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? It's when Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. <laughs> what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. <laughs> what character in the Bible had no parents? Now, besides Adam and Eve, that's the one everybody guesses, but there's another one. Joshua, the son of Nun. <laughs> and then one last one. Who's the shortest man in the Bible? It's not what you think. Most people say, well, Zacchaeus, because that song we sang about the wee little man that climbed the, the tree, but that's not it. It's Nehemiah. <laughs> I know, there's a corny. You can impress your relatives and friends with those over the next couple of days. But if you're really interested in a test, I have a uh, a Bible knowledge quiz. In fact, Kip's class, uh, I think, took it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, it's 106 questions. Uh, I've got some copies out in the foyer, but they messed up and it's missing a couple of questions. So at the bottom of your sermon notes, my email is there. If you will send me an email and just say, test, I'll send it right back to you and you can all do it together as a family today and see how well you do. I, I gave this test once to a bunch of pastoral students at a class I was teaching. They didn't do so well. Uh, so you take it, see how you do. Uh, if anybody gets 100%, I'll give you a prize. I don't know what it'll be yet, but I'll come up with, I'll come up with something. For a few minutes this morning, I want us to see how important the Word of God was in the early church. I think it was the thing that made the early church so powerful. Notice a couple of these verses. Verse 41, for instance, those who accepted his message were baptized. The New King James says, those who gladly received his word were baptized. Uh, or verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Uh, the NIV says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Or verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. What were they doing at the temple? What were they doing in those house meetings? They were studying the Word of God. They were listening to the apostles' preach. And as you read through the book of Acts, results came whenever the Word of God was expanded, expounded, never before. For instance, in Acts 3, uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, 3,000 are converted, but it only happens after Peter preaches. It wasn't the cloven tongues of fire, it wasn't the mighty rushing wind, it wasn't the speaking in tongues. Nobody gets saved until after Peter preaches the word. In Acts 3, a great miracle takes place. There's a lame man who is healed, and that attracts a lot of attention. But it's after Peter preaches that 5,000 are converted. When we get over to chapter 8 
of the book of Acts. The early church begins to suffer persecution. And again, we think that's a terrible thing, but it actually was a good thing because verse 4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And it goes on then to tell us about the ministry of one of those preachers named Philip who went down to Samaria, preached the word, and caused a great revival. Later, as the Apostle Paul begins his missionary journeys, preaching and teaching was the major focus of what he did. For instance, at Ephesus, it says, Paul had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. They went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Can you imagine five hours a day, six or seven days a week. Now, I mentioned that just in case I should go a few minutes longer this morning. Uh, you'd be glad you don't have the Apostle Paul. You'd be here at four o'clock uh, today. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. The preaching and the teaching of the Word was a priority in the early church. In fact, when the apostles began to get bogged down with some of the administrative duties, like making sure that the food was distributed to the widows, they quickly appointed some lay people to take care of that ministry. And what's interesting is why. Look at, listen to Acts 6, verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, that doesn't mean the apostles thought they were too good to wait on tables, not at all. In fact, they recognized the importance of that ministry. But what they're saying is, we can't neglect the Word. It's too crucial. If you, I, I, we should know this morning as a congregation that the preaching of the Word is always going to be your pastor's greatest priority. I've talked to Pastor Landon. I know this is true of Pastor Joshua. The preaching of the Word is the most important thing they do. Now, there's a lot of other stuff involved in being a good pastor, like visiting the poor, I mean the hospital, or counseling, or having meetings, and planning worship services, and administrative things. But the pastor's first calling is to expound the Word of God. And let me quickly give you four reasons why I think that is so crucial. Four reasons why preaching and teaching the Word is so important. And I see those things clearly listed in this passage we looked at over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is giving instructions to young Timothy, this young preacher. And he tells him, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. In another passage, he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul is saying, Timothy, give them the word and here is why. Number one, the Word is the only sure foundation that we can build upon this morning. Look again at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, 
because you know from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In the first part of this chapter, Paul begins to tell them that perilous times are coming. In fact, he says there will be false teachers. There will be wickedness. There will be persecution. And he says, Timothy, don't be shaken by any of that. He says, you have a great foundation. You've been taught from childhood the Scriptures by your mother and by your grandmother. And he says, be confident in that sure foundation. I remember when I was in high school, one of the things that they would make us do in gym class was try to build a pyramid. And since I was usually the run of the class, I'd get chosen to be on top, which I kind of liked because it's a whole lot better than having somebody's knee in the middle of your, your back. Plus, when the thing collapses, those squishy guys make nice padding. But uh, you know what? A human pyramid is only as strong as the guy at the bottom. I could sit up there on the top all day, but when the guys at the bottom got tired, the pyramid came down. They were the foundation. And your faith and my faith is only as good as what it's built upon. If your faith is built on cliches and hope-sos and, and uh, the opinions and the philosophies of people, those things change with the wind. Uh, but if your faith is built on the Word of God that never fails then you have a sure foundation. That's an anchor that's going to hold you steady in the midst of the storms. And notice here what Timothy, where Timothy got his scriptural foundation. It says, from infancy, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. His mom and his grandma started laying that foundation almost from birth. I think there's a lesson there for every parent here this morning. We need to take seriously the training of our children in the Word. We can't leave it up just to Sunday school or to Awanas or to VBS. Those things are supplements. They can help. But the primary responsibility lies with parents and grandparents. It won't happen in an hour a week. Uh, it needs to be a daily, ongoing process of teaching them. My question to you as a parent this morning is, are you building that foundation into your kids? We're going to talk about how to do that more in just a little bit later uh, in the sermon. They're going to hear a whole lot of other stuff out there. And if they don't have a strong biblical foundation, they won't know what to believe. Uh, it's so crucial that we give them that early. But there's a second thing the Word does for us. It reveals to us God's plan of redemption. As Paul tells Timothy here, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, notice this last part, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I was reading something recently about Martin Luther, the great reformer, and how the message of salvation, the plan of redemption, had really been lost in his day. The church taught, and Luther believed, that you had to work your way to heaven. And if you did enough good deeds, if you prayed enough prayers, if you attended enough masses, if you gave enough money, then possibly you could earn your way to heaven. And bless his heart, Luther was trying. I mean, he was trying to do all of those things. But then he began to read the Scriptures. 
And he went back to even the Greek and the original Hebrew, and, and God began to work in his heart. And one day while Luther was on his knees, climbing the steps of the great cathedral in Rome, praying on every step, trying to earn his salvation, the Holy Spirit began to bring to his mind the, the words he had been reading in Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. And it began to make sense to him. And Luther got up from his bloody knees and he realized for the first time that his works could never save him. Salvation was by faith and faith alone. And the Protestant Reformation was born. My point is that that simple truth came to him through the study of God's Word. Listen, this book is the only reliable map that's going to get you to heaven. This book shows us everything we need to know in order to become a believer. The third thing this book does is it helps us become righteous. The, close, the more we get into the Word, the closer we get to God. And the closer we get to God, the more we withdraw from the evil, impure things in this world. Notice again 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Let me quickly touch on those four things. First, it's profitable for teaching. In other words, the Scriptures are our authority for Christian living. Have you ever seen the little book uh, by Robert Fulgham that's entitled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Uh, Cute little book. I saw a bumper sticker recently that said, All I really need to know I learned at summer camp. Uh, that, that's probably true. I think we could change that this morning and say, Everything you need to know is found in this book. I'm convinced this is the best marriage manual in the world. You want to know how to have a great marriage? Read this book. You want to know how to run your business? Manage your money? Read this book. You want to have uh, how to raise your kids, how to deal with stress, how to overcome temptation, how to live a long, healthy life. It's in here. This book shows you how to leave, uh, live. A second thing this book does is it's good for rebuking, useful for rebuking. It convicts us of sin. It shows us what we're doing that's wrong and convinces us when we need to change. Let me, let me just show you how this works. Let's say, for example that you are worrying a lot about some problem. You're lying awake at night, you can't sleep, your blood pressure's up, you're short-tempered, you're moody uh, because of all the stress you're under. And then one morning, you happen to be reading your daily devotions, and you come across this verse in 1 Peter 5-7 that says, Cast all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. And you read that verse, and the Holy Spirit grabs you by the collar and begins to shake you a little bit and says, Hey, genius, why are you carrying all this heavy load, worrying yourself into an early grave when God wants to take care of that burden? And you say, Sorry, Lord, and you give Him the problem. That's a rebuke. And the truth is, that will happen quite regularly in your life if you just read this thing. I mean, God will do that. He will speak to you, and He will apply the Word to your life and your particular problem. A third thing the Word of God is useful for is correcting. 
In other words, it keeps us on track. Or better, it keeps us from getting off track. It's kind of like a spiritual GPS. You know how when you miss a turn, your GPS says recalculating? You know, uh, I thought mine was getting a little testy the other day. Uh, my Waze app, uh, after I missed three turns, uh, I kept expecting to say, you missed the road, you moron. Turn around. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody ought to invent one of those, you know, a GPS with attitude. I, I think that would be a, a real, uh, incredibly popular. But the Bible works kind of like a GPS. It, it gives us the road map. It shows us which way to go. We might be tempted to follow the crowd and go the way everybody else is going, but God's Word says, nope, you go this way. You follow me. You do, you do this. And if we listen, it will keep us on the path of righteousness. But then there's a fourth thing the Word does for us. Not only does it provide a foundation, not only does it reveal God's plan of redemption, not only does it train us to be righteous, but according to verse 17, it motivates us to do good works. Look at again at verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Get this next part. So that... The servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe if you will regularly, consistently read this book, it will inspire you, it will motivate you, it will encourage you to do something for God. I don't think we can seriously study the Bible and then just sit around and do nothing. It motivates us, it, it challenges us to get involved. Uh, it equips us, it shows us how. It empowers us. It gives us a plan. It's the greatest tool for evangelism and for church growth you'll find anywhere. This is the textbook for how to minister to people. A number of years ago, I remember reading an interview by a Christian magazine uh, of Billy Graham. And he shared in that interview how as a young preacher, he went through a time of crisis in his ministry. He began to have some doubts about the Bible, and he began to get away from it in some of his preaching. He began to depend more on quotes of famous people and, and public figures and philosophers, and he noticed that not much was happening. And so he went to the Lord in prayer, and, and finally he said, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to obey it. And Graham went on to say that that was the thing that changed his ministry. Listen to this quote. I think I've got it on the screen here. He said, I stopped trying to prove that the Bible was true. I'd settled it in my own mind that it was, and this faith was conveyed to the audience. Over and over again, I found myself saying, the Bible says. I can just hear him doing that. I felt as though I were merely a voice through which the Holy Spirit was speaking. I found that the Bible became a flame in my hands, and that flame melted away unbelief in the hearts of people and moved them to decide for Christ. The Word became like a hammer, breaking up stony hearts and shaping them into the likeness of God. This book is the source of our power. And when we get away from the Word, we have nothing of real value to offer a hurting world. This book equips us for good works. So the question remains, how do I become, like the early church, devoted to God's Word? What does that really mean? How do I get inspired to study it and to allow it to transform and change my life? I want to give you three action steps 
this morning. Three practical things that we can do to move toward becoming people of the Word. Number one, we need to get the Bible into our heads. And the best way to do that is to be exposed daily to its truth. And the primary way we do that is by reading it. There's no other way for that to happen. Now, for some of you who don't like to read, you've been waiting on the movie version. Uh, there, there are a couple. The Chosen is out there. That's a pretty good uh, series. There's some other good Christian movies. But that's not the same as reading it for yourself. Why not make this the year that you read the Bible all the way through? You can see from the insert, we've given you a couple of places there you can go and get a Bible reading program. They're all of different kinds. Some read, you go through chronologically. Some have you read a little bit in the Old Testament, a little bit in the New Testament every day so that you get cover the whole Bible. Pick one and stick with it. Along with that, get into a study, a Bible study. Get into one of our connection classes. Uh, if you're a parent, get yourself a good Bible story book. Uh, in fact, I tell young Christians sometimes, this is a great way for you to learn the Bible. Uh, get a Bible story book. I, I know we went through, there was an old version when my kids were young called Ergemeyer's Bible Storybook. We must have read through that thing three or four times. Each day had about a page, page and a half on a major story. That started with creation, went to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Noah and then Abraham and it just went through all the stories and by the time you got to the end to, to Revelation it was about that thick you had pretty much covered all of the main characters that we find in in the Bible and it was great for me as a parent and it was good for the kids because they were learning those stories as we went through it I'd encourage you to find something like that I'm sure there's better stuff out there now but you find one and just read it all the way through the second step, not only do we need it in our heads, but we need to get the Word into our hearts. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have actually read the Bible all the way through? I'm going to take a survey this morning. How many of you read it all the way through? Okay, good. That's a good number of you. How many of you have done it more than once? Probably a bunch of you. Okay, good. Uh, one of the things that happens sometimes is we, we tend to become gospel hardened or, or maybe we've read it so many times it kind of loses some of its its meaning and and we've heard all the applications we've heard hundreds of sermons and the challenge is how do we keep it fresh let me make a couple of suggestions always begin by asking the holy spirit to speak through the word read it slowly read it prayerfully I like trying different versions because that's sometimes this year I'm, I'm going to read through in the message version uh, just to be different. And that kind of helps you get a, a fresh perspective. I keep a notebook handy in case God says something. I, I want to write it down or something strikes me, I write it down. Now, I'll be honest, I don't get some great revelation every time I read the Bible, but I try to keep an open heart. And it's amazing at how just the right moment God will use His Word to speak what I need that day. The timing is amazing. The key is I have to be listening. And then thirdly, we need to apply the Bible to our everyday lives. We need to live it out. 
in our homes and in our schools and in our places of work. We need to use what we learn and put it into practice. When you read the Bible, you should always ask the question, now what? I've read it. Now what? What do I do with this? How do I apply this to my life? How does this change the way that I live? I love the story of the four ministers who were discussing various translations of the Bible, and one of them said, well, I really like the King James Version because of the beauty of the language. The second guy said, no, he liked the New American Standard Bible because he thought it was the most accurate and the closest to the original Greek and Hebrew. The third minister said, no, he liked the NIV because he thought it was the most readable and had the best flow. And the final minister, the fourth minister, was silent for a few minutes. And when they asked him his opinion, he said, well, he said, I like my mother's translation best. And they were surprised. They said, what? We didn't know your mother was a Bible translator. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, she translated it into life. And it was the most convincing version I ever saw. That's what we need to do this morning. We need to translate this book into action. People ought to know that we, we, we base our lives upon the truths of God's Word. This and I'll close this morning. I'm convinced the most important thing we can do as a church is study this book. My goal is... A preacher, whenever I get an opportunity to do this, is not to tell you what I think or what some other authority thinks. My job is to tell you what this book says. One of the things that most excites me is seeing believers growing and maturing in the Lord. And I want us to become a people who can stand firm when the storms of life come because they're coming. I I really believe that. I I think we're in for a a tough time in, in, in the future. I want us to be a people who aren't swayed by the latest religious fad or what the media says or what the world believes. And the only way we can have that kind of stability, that kind of maturity, is to know this book. There's a question that I've started asking people who occasionally come to me for advice or for counseling. I probably haven't asked it enough over the years, but it's quickly becoming one of my first questions. When they say, Pastor, you know, I, I'm just so discouraged. I, 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 just, I just can't get over something. My first question is, how much time are you spending in God's Word? Or when they say, Pastor, I'm having trouble with my marriage. Well, are you spending any time in the Bible? Or, Pastor, I'm struggling with a temptation. How much time are you spending reading God's Word? You see, it's this book that changes lives. This is where we find the answers. And you'll never become a mature Christian unless you make reading and studying this book your priority. That's my hope for us for the new year, that we'll become people devoted to God's Word. I want us to stand together this morning.